Hey, everybody, this is Stephen Dubner. Thanks for listening to Question of the Day, especially all you new listeners. Last week, we tried something new. We put out five episodes in a week with a special guest co-host, Manoush Zamarodi. Hope you enjoyed it. We might try something like that again at some point. But for now, we're back to three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and back to the original bromance with me and James Altucher. Thanks for listening. Stephen Dubner, I think think even though I have not yet gotten to a question, I think it's your turn to ask me a question. You sure? Yeah. Uh, So so you're saying you have a question for me today, but you're deferring. Right. You want me to... Is this a trick? I'm going to start to ask my... This is... You know what you are? You are Lucy with the football and peanuts, and you're going to tee it up, and then I'm going to run up to it like Charlie Charlie Brown... Brown. And I'm gonna go all in, and you're gonna yank it out, and you're gonna interrupt me, and then you're gonna ask me a question. We could try that if you want. Go for it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm for just gonna trust you. This question. is the biggest trust fall I've ever done because okay. I don't believe in trust falls. I think they're I, I call them stupid falls. But okay, power to you if you like them. Um, so here's, all right, you, you convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 mysteries have intrigued you the most in life? You know, like I love that question. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna have an answer. Um, well, okay, let me ask you a I'm, question. I'm, no, 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 I'll think about it, though. Do you ever think how big the universe is, for instance? Don't care. Do you ever think how did the universe start? Um, like, do you imagine I, that moment I, when the Big Bang I, happened? I, I like reading the Big Bang and related stories, but I, don't, I guess I don't care so much only because the results are in and we're here. So it's not... I, I guess when I think of a mystery that really uh, compels me, I would think it's something where the mystery's outcome will determine some events in the future for from my perspective. Was um was the JFK assassination Again, a conspiracy? Don't much I, I don't believe so, but I also don't much care cuz he it's not going to bring him back to life. So what so you you're like a current you like you're like a into current events mysteries. No, it could be a it could be a mystery like is there an afterlife? Is that a mystery? I don't think so. I think there is no afterlife. You don't think it's a mystery? Oh, you don't think it's a mystery? Yeah, I don't think it's a mystery. So you, A, think there's no afterlife, and B, think there's no... Personality seems to be totally related to the brain, right? Like, if they open your brain and they put, like, a hot iron in the middle of your brain, your personality is going to change. So how would your brain then... Can I say, if you put a hot iron in any part of me, my personality is going to change. Right. At least short term. (laughs) Short term. going to be like, But if they, like, sever something in your brain... Dr. James Altucher... Your personality is going to change. So how, you need so, a dictionary. So you how, know what a dictionary is? Like a dictionary for doctors, right? And and right now you just you need it. You need the what is in a brain, right? Well, I bet are you most in a brain. I bet you most like Harvard MDs don't know like what's in. You a You are so down on quote real doctors. You know this probably better than I do. How many people do doctors kill a year by accident? Do doctors kill? Yeah, well, by accident. There was an Institute of Medicine famous Institute of Medicine report several years ago now that showed that between roughly 50 and 100,000 deaths in U.S. hospitals were caused by uh, needless, or, were, were needless or preventable or accidental right. so deaths. Right, so why would you be, why would you be no, all no, no, look, up on I, doctors? I, I, if, well, first of all, so I have complicated feelings about medicine and doctors. I feel like the history of medicine is a history of, of unbelievable arrogance, and assumptions and mistakes. Right, it only seems in the past 30 years that they've been getting anything right at all. No, but look, look, people have been getting sick and dying since the beginning of time, and the fact that we have a science as imperfect as it is to, you know, prevent that 
is obvious, in my view, obviously awesome. And I know many, many, many doctors, medical researchers, I have a lot of issues with, you know, how good medicine is and how healthcare systems run and so on. But that doesn't mean I'm anti-doctor, uh, anti-medicine. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not saying let's you, go back to the Stone Age and start bleeding people. I'm just saying— Oh, that's good stuff. I'm, I'm saying there's—because of the way the industry is set up, there is so much focus on the cure as opposed to causes and oh, prevention. You're, you're totally not—I'm 100% with you there. But anyway— Which is why I was drinking my juice today. Do you see my juice coming in? Uh, we're gonna. I have a question about that juice in the future. I'm a little confused. Podcast. Do we have a question yet today? Yes. What was the question? What's a mystery? What's something oh, yeah, that you yeah. consider a mystery? All right. So you said to you, afterlife is not a mystery, and I I hate to say it. I have to say I don't. I don't I'm pretty sure there isn't an afterlife. Right. Either. I agree with Even you. Even though the so two great faith traditions in which I've had a lot of exposure, Christianity and Judaism. Both very much believe in an afterlife, even they, though that's they, the case. So, so that's how I. All right, name feel some other it. mysteries. I'll tell you if I find them compelling or not. All right, here's a mystery that I find compelling. In a beheading, does the person think after his head is chopped off from the body, even for a second? Mm. So I would say, and it's a really interesting question, but I can't say it's a mystery that would like keep me up at night. Maybe I'm just a very not curious person. If you were sentenced to be beheaded, it would certainly keep you up at night. And we were just, my family, we were in London, went to the Tower of London where we go every time. And we heard some story that, of course, I've already forgotten. Oh, it was about how someone who was about to be beheaded, can't remember which one it was. There were so many ladies getting heads chopped off because they did something wrong to their men, which is, let me say, for the record, patently unfair. And one of them had apparently bribed the, you know, executioner to whatever they did, sharpen the axe so it, it happened well. And uh, even though he took the bribe, this is the story I got, though, from the Tower of London Guard, the beef eaters. And I was there once, and I heard a story there, and it turned out to be totally made up. So I don't believe anything that any tour guide ever says anymore. But tell me what you think of this, James, whether you think this is like, you know, venal or whatever, mortal. The other what does venal mean? I don't know, these are the categories of sins. We don't need to get into that. But um, we were in London years ago maybe 2003, 4, 5, 6, somewhere in there, with the kids, went to the Tower of London, take the tour, and the beef eater who's leading the tour told us this amazing story. We're in the chapel there where all these, ama- you know, fascinating historical figures are buried. There have been all, all this drama and history and so on. And he says, you see the organ behind me here, like the big pipe organ. He says, the organ used to be disassembled every, whatever, 10 years and shipped to either the States or Canada for cleaning. And he said, but after 9-11, because of heightened security, that was no longer capable. And now they had to change the whole procedure. And I heard this story, wrote it down on my notebook, because at the time, uh, it must have been, I don't know, what, I don't, again, I can't remember what year, but we were, I remember when we started to work on Super Freakonomics, there was um, a small section, three, four, five pages, about sort of the hidden costs of 9-11, right? Including shortly after 9-11, there was Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, which meant that everybody's going to take off shoes forever. And so we added up the person hours that actually that cost that every American is still taking off. And, and you did a great study on um, how the increase in automobile deaths versus... Right. Well, we didn't do that pre study, and but post yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it turns out that for every person that... Doesn't decides not to fly, that's probably going to result in more deaths because traveling by car is much more dangerous than by airplane per mile as long as you're dealing with big airplanes, not little airplanes. But this guy told the story. I thought, you know, that's worth looking into because it could lead some, you know, could be a good paragraph or two in a book. 
And then I called the Tower of London and asked to talk to the media office, whatever, and said, you know, I heard this story from this guy, and I'm trying to find more information, find where's the firm that it got sent, where the pipes used to get sent to, and what exactly were the problems, why did it change? And nobody there had any idea what I was talking about. It turns out that the guy apparently just made up the whole thing because he thought it was a good story. And then I thought, well, that stinks. And then I thought, well, if I'm given the same tour five times a day, every day, and that's my life— then I would probably start making up stuff too. So I was conflicted about that because I didn't like that it's supposed to be real and it wasn't. But on the other hand, I I sort of felt for the guy. So where do you stand on that? As you can probably guess, Stephen and I have a lot more to say about this topic right after this quick break. Hey, everybody, it's Paul Shear. I have a podcast with June Diane Raphael and Jason Manzukis where we watch the worst movies ever made. And then we try to figure out How did this get made? Do we get answers? No, but I think it's a fun time. It's kind of like talking with all your friends after you watch a really shitty movie. Here, take a listen. From what I know of tornadoes, they're they're wind, essentially. That's picture. And what do you know of tornadoes? June was an amateur storm chaser. Go ahead. Wind starts to sort of pick up dirt and debris, and it kind of collapses. You know nothing about tornadoes. No, 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 no. Keep let her go. Listen to How Did This Get Made on Earwolf or your favorite podcast app. We would love it if you did. Where do you stand on that, on whether that w- it's okay to totally lie when you're giving a nonfiction history tour? I think it's okay to tell stories. Like, take the TV show The Tudors on Showtime, okay? T-U-T-O-R-S, the math tutors? T- yes, exactly. Um, T-U-D-O-R-S. Now, everything in that story... You know, it was a TV show, so you don't necessarily expect full nonfiction, but it was very much fictionalized. Okay, it wasn't really, even though it was a historical drama, it wasn't very historical. And you're okay with that? Uh, I think if something's going to be entertaining um, and it's going to be closely related to the truth, then if someone's truly entertained, they can go back and look back. And, and it, inspi- it inspired me, for instance, who knew nothing, to go back and study what the truth was. But let me ask you this. if I Because decide- history in general, by the way, you open up a history textbook, it's only written from one point of view when there's like maybe, you know, the Rashomon number of points of views. Right, like so you're given the, the 10- Howard Zinn. You, you've read Howard Zinn. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's 10 points of views to any historical story anyway. Right, but let me ask you this. Don't you think it's a little bit weird that film for whatever reason, and I guess, you know, live theater too, are sort of allowed culturally to take an historical event and really fictionalize it. Are they allowed? Like, there's a lot of criticisms when people do that. There there are criticisms, but the criticisms are mostly kind of from people on the outside shouting like, hey, you shouldn't have said that John F. Kennedy said that when everybody knows he didn't. And the filmmakers will generally say, meh, you know what? We're making a movie. It's based on the fact. Whereas... If I write a book, a nonfiction book, it's a commercial product just like a movie. What's interesting to me is there is no overarching court of what's allowed in nonfiction and history presentation, how factual things need to be. But for whatever reason it's evolved, books and journalism, long form, whatever, books and journalism needs to be as absolutely factual as can be established Whereas film and musicals and things like that, which are plainly commercial, but so are books. Books are commercial too. So why is it that we accept that it's okay for a film director and Oliver Stone or whatever? I saw The Big Short. Not long. Have you seen The Big Short yet? Yes. So, you know, The Big Short, the difference between the book and the film was in some ways drastic, in some ways not so much, but the film very cleverly 
makes a point of talking to you and say, this didn't really happen. And that's kind of part of the charm of the film is it's saying we needed to make it sexier for a movie, whereas a book wouldn't actually have to. Right. So, so a book is more of an exposition of events, whereas a movie has to keep you in your seat while you're eating popcorn. And somehow or other, that's more acceptable to lie. But the reality is the book is probably just as much a lie uh, and in fact, in that case, the book probably is just as much a lie as the movie. I got to disagree only because I know a lot of people who write a lot of nonfiction books, history and otherwise, and none of us would ever intentionally change the way things happened. Whereas I know some people in film and theater and so on, and some of them are obvious and overt and, and right. blatant and proud of it. Uh, so, so in film, it is more overt. But look at like Super Freakonomics, which I don't think... You did anything dishonest, but look at all of the criticism you got on the climate warming, uh, you know, climate change chapter. You got so much criticism saying you were deliberately lying and misrepresenting, and you guys dealt with it well. Like, you you responded to it and dealt with it. We wept. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you did. It's very devastating to get, like, a billion people, like, arguing with you, but... You know, the it was same, really only five, but they were really noisy. Well, the vocal minority is always the no, noisiest really are. by definition. But uh, and usually you ignore the vocal minority, don't you? All the time. You yeah. can't. There is no good response Somet to the vocal minority. Sometimes you have to. If the vocal minority starts saying that you sleep with house cats, for instance, um, I, <laughs> I think uh, as happened with John Harvard, I believe so. Oh, so, yeah. Um, but. I don't think um, I don't think you could trust any one thing you read. Journalism doesn't tell the truth. They're trying to quickly come up with facts. Like, why did the stock market go down yesterday? Well, that's you think a, a whole, journalist knows an answer? That's a whole There's no other. Answer. That's one particular substrata of journalistic stupidity, which is that the mark almost every story about why the markets did what they did is is based on what one journalist heard from one trader. Analyst. Yeah, but even if like if you're the the New York Post or the, or you know anything in the new in the Murdoch Empire and you don't like Obama as opposed to the New York Times where you like Obama the articles are always slanted you can never trust any one source to so, tell you the right. truth so, so here's the my point that... is build a kind of your own sort of uh, dashboard of sources where you figure okay from these twelve different mm -hmm. sources I can start to build a picture of the truth because okay. the truth's a moving target so final question of the day for you. James Stanley Altucher is who's in that dashboard of your trusted sources? Nobody. I don't listen to anything written yesterday, including my own stuff. So you just gave us a piece of advice that you said that you that you then say you don't follow if, yourself. If you're looking for the truth, I'm not I don't necessarily believe the truth ever exists. So I'm not looking for it. What are you looking for, James? I'm looking to be as relaxed and peaceful each day as possible because I'm I'm 47. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm don't not gonna. Die. I'm not gonna live as long as I've already lived. So I don't really need you're to not, find you're out. You're not gonna make 94. No, I don't want to. So, so I'm not. I'm not trying every day to figure out all the facts I can. I'm just want to enjoy and I want to have these podcasts with you. We'll share a clip from our next episode right after this. It's a new year already. What does that mean? means there's new stuff in the Earwolf store. We've stocked up on all your favorites for 2016. Shirts, socks, pins, posters, and more to show your support for Earwolf. So just head on over to earwolf.com store and get your shop on. Questions about next episode's question? Here's a hint. 
Here's a question we got from a listener. His name is Catherine B. Why haven't we evolved as a species away from aggression? And I had two very strong thoughts. My first thought is, I want to respond to that question myself. Okay. But my pre-first thought, my first first thought was, well, James is going to love that question because James loves to talk about evolution of the species and how it affects the way we behave. 